thing about the, the legal community that made us a little bit different is that I, I don't know anyone who didn't want to travel to New York and try to volunteer at something, either work on the pile or help the fire department. Everybody in America wanted to do that. And what was unique is that the lawyers um, created and then had an opportunity to do that. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Craig Williams from a kind of falls dreary southern california <laughs> and this is this is bob ambrogi coming to you from just outside of boston massachusetts where in fact it's beautiful and sunny today so there you have it craig uh, a little reversal here uh, yeah. i read a blog called law sites and another blog called media law and craig i know you read a blog i do called may it please the court and i've also got a book out called how to get sued and bob we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors clio it's a web-based practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com suntrust who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms at suntrust.com slash law and firm manager from LexisNexis at myfirmmanager.com slash ltn craig this week marked the 10th anniversary of 9-11 a day that changed the world forever for all of us. As I've mentioned before on the show, I was in New York City that day uh, where I was then editor-in-chief of the National Law Journal, and I helped coordinate coverage by teams from the uh, National Law Journal and the New York Law Journal. Both of those newspapers uh, this week uh, published interesting retrospectives uh, looking back at 9-11's impact on the law and at how lawyers pitched in to respond to the tragedy. Just last week, uh, for example, the New York Law Journal included a collection of essays from the legal community titled Reflections on 9-11 and the Law, discussing the impact of 9-11 and how it has affected the legal system today. And today we're going to take a look at 9-11, how lawyers got involved after the attacks, the legal issues that remain, how this tragedy of 9-11 has impacted and shaped our system Helping us do that today are two guests. First of all, I'd like to welcome to the program attorney Leo V. Boyle from the Boston firm Me and Boyle Black and Bogdanow. I'm fortunate to have known Leo for a number of years here in Massachusetts through his very active work in the bar as president of the state bar, the State Trial Lawyers Association, and a number of other roles. But of particular relevance to today's program, uh, at the time of 9-11, Leo was president of the Association of Trial Lawyers of America, now known as the American Association for Justice. As such, uh, he was instrumental in helping to start up Trial Lawyers Care uh, to provide free legal representation to all 9-11 families, uh, and also in helping to create the Victim Compensation Fund uh, that went on to be administered by Ken Feinberg. Uh, trial Lawyers Care became the largest single pro bono project in the history of American jurisprudence. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Leo Boyle. Oh, thanks, Bob. I really appreciate you having me, and thank you, Craig, as well, and it's great to be on with Marilyn. 
And Bob, our next guest is Marilyn Berger. She's the executive producer, writer, and co-director of the documentary film Out of the Ashes, 9-11. She's a returning guest to our show, and she founded the films for Justice Institute at Seattle University School of Law in 1995. As a professor at that school, Marilyn produces, writes, and directs educational documentaries with social justice themes. You can find out more about Out of the Ashes at outoftheashes911.com. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Marilyn. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to return. Well, Leah, let's talk first with you about the community's response to the 9-11 attacks. Uh, how did you find that the legal community pitched in? They provide legal services, pro bono work. Tell us about your, your personal experience with the, uh, with the law community coming together with Trial Lawyers Care. Oh, I'd, uh, I'd be delighted to. First, first of all, I, I, I must say that this day comes around each year, the 11th, and it's a day of uh, deep uh, deep sadness, I must, I must say. Um, although I was blessed in that my immediate family was not impacted by it, it just had such uh, a profound impact on so many families, and I think will for generations. That I that I find it a a, a sad day, and I think when it happened, everyone had that feeling. They just knew it. It uh, it changed life for all of us, and. Um, the thing about the, the legal community that made us a little bit different is that I, I don't know anyone who didn't want to travel to New York and try to volunteer at something, either work on the pile or help the fire department. Everybody in America wanted to do that. And what was unique is that the lawyers um, created and then had an opportunity to do that. So um, there was a great outpouring of desire to help. And then, um, and I'd be happy to describe how it came about, but the legislation um, that we lobbied for and got immediately after the 11th created the opportunity for us to go down there and, and, and help in a tangible way. So uh, there was enormous outpouring of desire to help, but what was different about our segment is we had the opportunity, and that was, um, I think, life-changing for many of us. Leo, I just, one of the things that you I read, I read that you said soon after, uh, soon after this tragedy, was that you were quickly aware that that the, the legal system had to respond to this somehow differently than it than it might have responded to to uh, tragedies on on smaller scales. I mean, is is that right? What, how did you see this shaping up in terms of the legal system? Well, you you, you touch on a really important point, and and, and that is. Could the legal system, as we have known it, address the needs of the families? And um, probably the single most misunderstood fact about how we as lawyers responded with the legislation and and then with the uh, trial lawyers care and then the fund that um, made the awards is um, what people don't understand is the economics of what happened that day. Um, one of the planes had $1.5 billion of insurance. The other plane had $1.7 billion worth of insurance. They were insured, in other words, by the plane. Um, we knew there were thousands of deaths. There turned out to be almost 3,000. Um, we knew there were thousands of personal injuries. And there was also probably 50 to $75 billion of property damage. So Within a few days, um, ATLA and, and the leadership of ATLA at the time figured out that the victims were going to be left behind 
if if left to the traditional legal system. Um, there are all other issue, kinds of issues we could talk about. This really was a mass murder, not a mass tort. But even if you were able to make out a case against the airlines, you would have perhaps $100 billion worth of claims competing for $3.2 billion of insurance. So while the legal system we know is the purest way to find the truth and to find out what really happened, and all the victims had that choice if they wanted to go to court rather than the fund, they could do that. But the reality was it would be a Pyrrhic victory without some safety net for the victims. And, and what happened was on September 12th, um, I was in constant touch with my uh, office in Washington, and we learned that the airlines were on the Hill uh, lobbying for a bailout bill and complete immunity from suit. Um, and we went to work on that day uh, and started lobbying uh, for a fund for the victims, uh, realizing that we had the ultimate uh, underinsured catastrophe on our hands. We just could not take care of these families because the resources went, weren't there. One of the airlines actually went into bankruptcy about a year a year afterwards, and, and the other one would have if, if, if we didn't um, have the fund as an outlet. Um, so uh, we went to work right away. We were able to get the Victim's Compensation Fund attached um, to the bill. Um, I, I was in Washington on uh, Wednesday the 19th. I met with Dick Gephardt, who was then House uh, Majority Leader. Uh, met with um, Senator Daschle's um, staff. We put into play the idea of a fund uh, it took root very, very quickly. Um, we actually drafted um, uh, what we wanted the fund to look like. It went over to Congress um, on uh, Wednesday evening, the 19th. By Thursday morning, a lot of the uh, a lot of the fighting had been done between the two sides of uh, of the aisle on on what the bill should look like. Um, Friday, it went through the House and Senate, and Saturday, it was signed into law. So, within 60 hours from the time we proposed it, um, we had a bill. Um, and on Saturday evening, the 22nd, uh, it was signed by the by the president, and that's when we put our um, uh, volunteer attorney uh, organization uh, into place and started the hard work of uh, and the privilege really of, of representing the family. So that's in a nutshell uh, what happened. And Marilyn, can you give us a little bit of background about how your documentary came into being? Um, Yes, I too, just like Leo described, wanted to do something, um, but an educator isn't equipped to go and um, fumble around in, in, in the smoldering pile. Um, and so my my interest was in educating people, but I didn't know exactly what it would be. Um, and then I came across Ken Feinberg at a at a luncheon meeting, a professional luncheon meeting, and realized that I knew very, very little about the 9-11 Victim Compensation Fund. And here I was as an educator, and I felt that if somebody didn't document it in, uh, in a, uh, an important way, that this piece of history of how people were compensated after 9-11 and the importance of the fund and the response of um, Congress and the American uh, people would be lost. Um, it would just fade out. It would be a it would be a report that would be filed just as Ken Feinberg said with the GAO, and nobody would really know about it. And um, there was a real feeling that um, what if this happened again? Um, and this would fade from memory. So 
Um, I approached Ken Feinberg about doing a documentary. It took me about a year because he wasn't interested in publicizing the role of the of the uh, victim compensation fund nor what he and his staff did. And um, we got involved um, in researching and then figuring out how to t- how do you tell the story of a fund that is basically a statute that takes up less than two pages, um, printed pages, and make it come alive. Um, and as I said, I, I, I wanted students to understand this because it was a, a process that was very, very different than the civil justice system. And um, it could be very important for the future. So um, my experience has been that if you tell a story, then people will remember and you'll be able to then educate. So we tell the story of seven families, um, one family that chose not to um, elect the fund and six families that did and what their experiences were with litigation and with the fund, um, raising all the issues through the families that we interviewed and have in the film. So my experience was I wanted to document this for history, um, and I wanted an objective film. I didn't want it to be a point of view. I wasn't making a a statement on behalf of myself, but a, a statement on behalf of what the government did and the role of the families in it. Well, and, and I and I know you were, as I mentioned, you were on our our show once before, along with Deborah Steinberg, one of the lawyers who uh, uh, donated a lot of her time pro bono uh, to uh, victims representing victims here. Uh, and as as I recall, uh, you you said uh, somewhat what you just said, which is that you you really didn't kind of take a position. Uh, on on this uh, sort of on the fund and, and uh, how how successful or or not it, it was, uh, but but I mean, can can you tell us kind of what you came to understand about the fund by making this movie? Uh, can you elaborate at all on what your how it changed your your understanding of it or what your viewpoint of it was? Well, one of the things that came out of it was very very personal for me, which is um, understanding how awful the experience was of losing somebody under these circumstances. I mean, this was mass murder. And the, the, the first shock that I got was looking at the death certificates of some of the family members who lost loved ones. And it read homicide. And I had never understood that until I actually confronted the, the death certificate. Um, and I began to understand the import of how massive this was. Um, and so I, you know, personally, um, I learned all about the fund and how to tell the story of this fund to, to generations of students. Um, but more, it touched my life in terms of realizing how precious life is because the people that I interviewed um, never realized that they would never see their loved ones again. Um, they said goodbye early in the morning, and that was the end of it. Um, and they never got to say, I love you or, um, anything else. And that's what made it so tragic. And that's the personal statement that I get out of this is that every day is precious and you want to use it for the better, um, bettering society. Um, that's just a personal thing that I, I came away with. How is it, uh, 
that you feel now, having gone through the process of the, the last 10 years and in terms of what do you think the, uh, the contribution is now? Do you see a need for further contribution in the future or are things winding down? Um, in terms of, I'm not sure about, the fund had a sunset date, so it was open for 22 months. And um, it's interesting that you ask that question because there's an, there's an opening up of the fund for the, um, the people who were affected by the toxic dust at Ground Zero. And so the fund sunsetted with the way that it was set up at that time. There's a new um, set of regulations and how compensation is going to be paid to the um, first responders and the contractors and the people at the pile and then the people who were caught in the dust cloud who lived in lower Manhattan. Um, and there are lessons to be learned because it was a very, very generous um, fund with, that had basically an open-ended check um, up to Feinberg and his staff to decide how to compensate people according to the formula that Congress had, had set out in the statute. This fund is very limited because there's a limited amount of money that has to be divided by um, thousands and thousands of people. Um, and it's very, um, it's very different. So 10 years later, we still, we have a new fund, but it is a very different fund. Also because times have changed. Leo, Leo, what other legal issues remain uh, today uh, from from ten years ago? Are the are the are the victims' cases essentially closed out at this point? Maryland's talking about the, the the responders. Are there are there other legal matters that continue to today? Um, there there are, but I, I think they're mostly in the um, uh, in the area of. How, if at all, do we use this fund as a model going forward? Can it be used in other settings? As um, Marilyn points out, it is is being used again uh, in in New York. But uh, for the fund itself, what what struck me was that initially there was a great struggle to educate the public as to what the fund could do for them, because this notion that there simply wasn't enough money under the traditional remedies. Um, uh, there were going to be bankruptcies and almost no insurance to speak of. That's just so hard to communicate to the lay press. And you were dealing with people who were uh, just um, beaten into almost hibernation by this event. We had a great deal of difficulty getting people to engage and ask us questions and come to our meetings and take our forms and sign up. And then at the very end, we had just a cascade of applicants for the fund. Um, I, I think I think it was in December of '03. Marilyn, was that the deadline for the filing? Yes. Yeah, yes. December of '03. And um, we we ended up getting over 98 percent of the um, of, of the victims coming to the fund. Um, I think only between 75 and 100 victims um, filed in the civil courts. All of those have now settled except for one. There's a single extant case that Judge Hallerstein is um, is handling, and I think he's got a trial schedule set up for it. So He does. It's um, scheduled for November if it goes forward. Great. Yeah. Is that the Ace Bailey case? Do you know? Is that um, – do you happen to know the plaintiff in that uh, case, Beavis. Beavis. A Beavis. A-B-I-S. Okay. Okay. Um, so um, – 
So just about all the business is taken care of. Now, what was stunning to me about it is that um, our pro bono organization represented 2,000 of the families. Um, uh, We recovered something in excess of $2 billion for those families. The, The donation of legal services was around $300 $300 million of free services. Um, uh, the fund paid a total of $7 billion to to all of the victims. And about a year after the f- final filing date, we wrapped up all the claims. They were paid. And then there was utter silence from, from, the, from the victim community. It's like, I mean, I've never had a project in my life, certainly never handled one, anything of this magnitude, where... There was complete peace after it was done. I heard nothing from anyone. I mean, honestly, I expected uh, malpractice lawsuits against some of the lawyers. I expected fights over the division of money. I expected motions for rehearings and reopen a case. There was nothing. And that told me a great deal about the peace that had been provided in otherwise just uh, decimated lives, at least the financial part of it. Um, people got some measure of peace. And so there's been almost nothing that has come out of it. Now, it it does come up in the dialogue for other disasters. Minnesota um, Bridge disaster, it came up because the state had sovereign immunity and had, had really no financial liability to the victims there. And they needed some kind of a model, and they uh, they did get a model that was uh, loosely um, penned after uh, after the victim compensation fund. The McMurrah Building, ex post facto, we tried to get a, uh, get them pulled into the fund, um, the bombing victims. Um, we weren't able to do it. We told Congress we would represent them for free if they brought them into the fund, but Congress chose not not to bring them in. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is it. It was such a generous fund that it became economically unfeasible for the government to do it too many times. Um, so that's kind of the aftermath of it all. There, there was there's one other thing I, I, I should bring up, and that was the initial fear that um, that some had when this initially happened. That traditionally we never forsake the legal system, the jury system, to go to the government and ask for an administrative remedy. We just don't do that. Um, because I, I, for one, and I know Marilyn is, uh, uh, I am a complete believer in trial by jury and the fact that you always get the right answer. What was different here was you could have had uh, a, um, an, a hollow victory. You could get an answer that uh, perhaps one of the airlines had done something wrong or one of the security companies, but you get five cents on the dollar for your claim. So there was the initial fear that maybe this will be used in products liability and medical malpractice and in other settings by the enemies of uh, of um, uh, consumer rights and the enemies of, of people exercising their, their right to trial by jury. But what we found um, in, in hindsight is that hasn't happened. It was such a generous fund. It was so clearly understood that this was a response to a mass murder. It wasn't a mass tort that um, it hasn't become a tool in the hands of the enemy uh, enemies of, of the civil justice system. I don't know, Bob, if that answers your question. but it, It's time for us to take a quick break, and we'll have more about that question. And on the 10-year anniversary of 9-11, when the impact on the legal system, when Lawyer to Lawyer returns.
Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, The mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. With cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com slash legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. Lawyer to Lawyer is celebrating its sixth year here on Legal Talk Network. That's a lot of legal talk by our great hosts, attorneys Bob Ambrosia in Massachusetts and Craig Williams in California. Thanks, Craig and Bob, for the best podcast for legal professionals and the longest continually published legal podcast anywhere. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. On this 10th anniversary of 9-11, we are joined by attorney Leo Boyle uh, from Boston, who was uh, instrumental in founding the Trial Lawyers Care in the wake of 9-11 and, and the Victim Compensation Fund, and also by Marilyn Berger, uh, who's 
uh, executive producer, writer, and co-director of the film Out of the Ashes 911 that traces the stories of uh, some of the, the victims and their experience uh, with with that fund. Um, and I, I, I kind of like to ask each of you, I, I, I mean, I, you know, Leo, obviously you're, 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 uh, helped create the fund, and, and uh, clearly, from your words here, you're, 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 uh, you seem to be saying that you certainly think that it worked well uh, in Maryland. You've, you've now uh, cataloged it, but uh, in retrospect, with with the with the benefit of hindsight, uh, would I would either of you uh, say that this should have been handled differently, or uh, or uh, you know? Would you still do it the same way, or should it still be done the same way? Uh, well, Marilyn, let me ask you: Having gone through making this film, your reaction to that? Um, yes, I I I think that um, somebody is 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 going to look at this fund in the future and think it's a really good idea, but not be as generous in the um, compensation that was paid to the victims' families. Um, and if that's the case, then there's a huge inroad in due process for the victims. One of the things that kept coming out from um, what the families that we interviewed, that particularly the ones that are in the film, is that none of them felt that they got justice. Um, they all wanted some kind of answer as to why 9-11 happened. And there was this feeling that um, that they were glad that there were some people that were litigating. But when most of them settled, um, they were chagrined because there would be no answer. So this one family left. Um, and I know that the 9-11 community is waiting to see whether there will be some kind of answers. But nobody got closure. Um, I think that there was financial stability for many people who were left without um, the the breadwinner in the family. But nobody felt that they got justice. And, and that's an elusive concept. And um, my fear is that um, this will be looked at. And there have been bills um, that, were, that were presented in Congress that Weren't didn't go anyplace. Uh, for Katrina, uh, there was a separate bill for the Oklahoma City bombings, um, for the um, for people um, hostages from Iran. I mean, every conceivable disaster there has been a bill, and usually it doesn't get out of committee or it doesn't have any support from Congress. But um, eventually, this is going to be looked at as something that will be an inroad. I think that the fund should have been under the umbrella of the federal courts, and I do think that there should have been um, a regular appeal procedure. If somebody did not like their award, the only way that they could contest it was to go back to the fund and try to make a case that the award was not proper. So you took away a lot of rights, um, and that will appeal to uh, um, defendants because there was an end to, quote, the fund sunsetted, and people couldn't go into court to contest anything that happened. So um, I think it's a very dangerous precedent. Um, I wouldn't like to see it repeated again. Um, on the other hand, I, I see the benefit of having used it when it was used. And one of the things that's, that's been bandied around a lot with the current 9-11 fund for the toxic dust victims is the 
expectations on behalf of the victims and, and, and the fund now are really quite outlandish in, in, in relationship to the set amount of money set aside for all of these claims. And nobody really knows whether it's going to be 10,000 claims or 40,000 claims. Uh, because it's just now beginning to um, open up and 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 um, claims are going to be heard very soon. So um, we, we, we're we're running low on time, and I want to want to make sure Leo gets a chance to respond to that because I bet he has a different perspective on that. It's, well, uh, you know, I, I don't know how how far apart we are. Uh, bottom lines, we're we're polar opposites, but how we get there is, uh, I I think, uh, similar thinking. A uh, first point Marilyn makes: none of them felt they got justice. Um, you don't get answers. You don't get the truth by uh, going to the fund and being awarded two or three or four or six million dollars um, to put your life back together. The lawsuit will get you that. But it's a little bit like saying um, to to a family, you've lost a loved one. You can either have four million dollars uh, in life insurance or you can have your day in court and the insurance on the defendant is a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, you can go to court. You can get your answers. You can find the truth, but you you also end up with with a very uh, different life than you would have had if you went in the other direction. The hardest thing we had to do was you can't have it all when one of these things happen, and we had thousands of deaths. We knew it, and we couldn't walk away from them. And so we had to take the risk that um, not everybody would would get to go to court and find the truth. We. We had to take the risk, which in my view turned out not to be a risk, that this would create inroads into due process. And one place where I differ with my dear friend Ken Feinberg is I would do this again. Um, I, I wouldn't do it to bail out a pharmaceutical company. I wouldn't do it to bail out an, uh, an automotive company. But when you have a mass murder and the families have nowhere else to turn, um, it's incumbent upon government to take care of its own, in my view. And I would do it again, and I'd use the same model. And um, I thought I thought Ken Feinberg did a brilliant job uh, on the numbers. I just disagree with him. He, Marilyn, I think he's of your view that this was a one-off. Let's not do it again. Um, if it's my loved one, my dad, my mom, uh, uh, who who died in an event like that, I would want help uh, from the government. Uh, we have uh, run out of time uh, for today's program. Uh, and uh, generally like to give uh, each of you an opportunity to give your closing thoughts and also let our listeners know how they can follow up with you. We've, we've run a little bit long, so I ask you to try and keep keep them brief, uh, but I do invite you to do that. And also, as I said, uh, share, uh, share uh, information with our listeners on how they can get more information about you uh, and the work that you do. So, uh, Marilyn, let's start with you. Okay, I will keep it very brief. Um, you can find out more about the documentary, purchase it, it's nonprofit. Um, nobody is making money from it. Um, and if you go to www.outoftheashes911.com, all lowercase, no spaces, um, you could then um, look at our website and it tells you all about the film and the um, families that are in the film and the lawyers who are in the film. Thank you very much. Great. And I'm, I'm Leo Boyle. I'm a lawyer in Boston. I'm the only Leo Boyle, so <laughs> Google or the phone book. Uh, uh, I'm very easy to find and be happy to talk with a- a- anyone about this topic. I uh, uh, It was a huge part of my life. I feel privileged to have helped. And I 
was sitting on my desk late one night working, and the phone rang, and it was a person who I, I didn't know just calling. It was happened to be 9-11, and she called to say, you probably don't get calls anymore. It was years after it happened, and she just called to say thank you, and that uh, uh, that'll fuel me for a long time. So, uh, Bob, uh, Craig, thanks for having me on. And thank you. Well, thanks so much. I, I do also want to point out that on your website, Marilyn, for your film, you, you keep a schedule of screenings uh, as they happen uh, in various locations around the country. So anybody who's interested in finding out where the film might be shown uh, should definitely check that out. Uh, well, well, thanks very much to both of you for uh, for uh, the, the important work that you've done uh, and for sharing your, your thoughts and your time with us today. Uh, and... Uh, that about does it for this week's show. Uh, Craig, uh, any final thoughts on this? Well, it's certainly a, a terrible situation that we've all had to go through. And uh, the interesting part, I think, is going to be how future generations deal with the losses that we've suffered and, and how can we communicate what happened and, and prevent it from happening again. All, all, I think, things that we need to give some serious thought to. And I very much applaud Leo and uh, Marilyn for their work. It's been uh, great listening to the program and appreciate all the work and effort you put into uh, helping people out. Thanks. Well, for our listeners, remember you can now get CLE credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. You can also find all Legal Talk Network shows, including this one, Lawyer to Lawyer, on iTunes. And we'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think Lawyer to Lawyer. Talk to you next week, Craig. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Gee Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.